franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with a business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Hi, welcome to episode 19 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, and this is my colleague, Sarah Wasco. We created this podcast to provide education and information about all things entrepreneurship and franchising. Today, our guest is a commercial real estate broker. His name is Ruben Reynoso, and he is going to educate us a little bit about the commercial real estate process if you <coughs> open a business that requires real estate. So Ruben, if you would kindly tell us a little bit about your company and yourself and your background, and then I'm sure Sarah and I will have some questions for you. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, ladies. Um, my name is, is Ruben Reynoso. I uh, <clears throat> grew up in, in Dallas-Fort Worth, so I've been here for well, almost 25 years. Uh, my company is uh, Tenant Real Estate Advisors and uh, started the company about 13 years ago with the uh, sole purpose of assisting tenants, commercial real estate tenants, and buyers with the site selection process, uh, procurement of, uh, of, of retail space, medical space, and, uh, and land acquisition. And so we're a commercial real estate firm, full service, but that specializes in the tenant buyer side. Which is interesting because <clears throat> most commercial real estate brokers work both sides. They, they represent the seller or the landlord, and they also represent the buyer side or the, the leasee side. So <clears throat> I think what you do is, is a little bit of a niche. I don't I haven't met a lot of uh, commercial real estate brokers that specifically focus on tenants. And I know there's a reason why you decided to go down that path. So can you kind of give me the, the path, your path that led you to focus just on the tenants? Sure. Yeah. So you're completely right. Uh, most of the commercial real estate firms do uh, offer the, the landlord and the tenant side. When I started my company, I, I noticed that there was a, a need for just tenant buyer representation. And so really the, uh, the origin of it was um, started with my family. So my family wanted to open a restaurant business in South Lake about 13 years ago. And, uh, and they couldn't find somebody that, that could assist them just on, on the site selection. And, uh, and so they ended up going into a, into a pretty bad lease that uh, cost them money and, and, and other challenges. And so um, that experience made me realize that there's other entrepreneurs and other people that are franchising that need assistance with the lease negotiations, we, with um, building acquisitions. And so, um, so at that point, I, I just really focused on, on working on the tenant side. I had another question. Um, oh, okay. So leasing isn't just about negotiating the financial piece of it. There's other things about a lease. So we have limited time today, so we're not going to go into all the details, but maybe kind of give our <clears throat> listeners an idea of some of the main topics or important parts of a lease that they might not know about if they've never 
um, looked at real estate before. You know, I know there's the term of the lease. And if they're signing a franchise agreement, there's special things around that too, That because there's the, the term of the, the franchise agreement and, uh, and then the term of the lease has to match that. So maybe give us some highlights of the top talking points about negotiating a lease. Sure. Yeah, so, so you're completely right. Within a lease document, there are many material items that are going to be important throughout the lease term and that uh, really you have to, to, to mitigate the risk. And so mm-hmm. several of the items uh, that are of contention from the beginning are personal guarantee, meaning um, is you're going into a lease space, you're, you're personally guaranteeing the term of the lease, the payment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has monetary risk involved. And um, and so we try to protect the tenant on the exposure there. And, and maybe if you're signing a 10-year lease, you're only guaranteeing a portion of it. There's things like an exclusive. For example, if you're opening a, a coffee shop, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that there's not another coffee shop that's going to open in the same development. And so you negotiate what's called an exclusive. There are renewal options that will either be pre-negotiated, the, the price, or where you can set a cap on your renewal. So after your lease term expires, you know that you have an option to stay in the space at a certain rate or at a, at a rate that's going to be capped. Um, there's other things like, um, let me see what else could, could be of, of really value beyond the economics, uh, a finish-out allowance which a finish-out allowance is used to finish out the interior of a space. Mm -hmm. And so that is negotiated in conjunction with the rent. Those kind of go hand-in-hand. There's things like assignment of the lease. So, again, exit strategy. If you want to leave the space or sell your business, how do you assign the lease to a a new franchisee or a new owner Mm -hmm. where you have no liability? And so... Really, there's so many things that go into the lease, and those are negotiated on a what's called a letter of intent, which I prepare. It's usually three to four pages, and uh, and it includes all those items that I outlined and, and more. And uh, and so so that's kind of a, a, the highlight. But there there's just a, a whole lot of other items that, uh, as a tenant, you want to make sure that you have those protections up front. I'm curious, you mentioned that your family didn't have anybody to represent them and they got into what you defined as a bad lease. Can you expand on that a little bit and kind of help us understand maybe some of the things that really could have been better about their lease and what people can look out for and some of the you know, mistakes to avoid, if you will. I think you just highlighted, you know, some of those um, negotiating terms, but is there more and were there some kind of key factors that were ahas for you when you decided to get into this business? Yeah, so absolutely. So one of the challenges with with what we do, commercial real estate brokerage, is that um, there, there's really not a company, aside from mine, that, that focuses on the on the small business owners. So you see the, the big firms typically uh, work with, with concepts like P.F. Chang, Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes uh, the, the small operators get left, put on the sideline, and, and, and they don't have representation, which is what happened to my family. So some of the things that ended up costing them a lot of money in that lease was, uh, one, they didn't have a renewal option. And so when and they had a franchise agreement in place, so when the initial lease term came up, the landlord had already found somebody else to take the space for more rent. So they were out of the space and lost really all the, all the uh, client following, all the money they had put into the finish out. Um, another item, there was no cap on <clears throat> the expenses. So in a lease, as a tenant, you pay 
for the maintenance of the property, the property taxes, and, and, and things that the landlord passes on to the tenant. Well, if you don't cap the expenses to a certain extent, those things can increase dramatically every year. And so they kept on escalating because they didn't have a, a, a cap on the controllable expenses and put their rent to like 30, 40% higher than what they started off with. Uh, the, the exclusive was another thing. Somebody with the same business model open across in the same development across uh, in a different building and impacted their business. And, uh, and so those are just some of the, the highlights wow. that wow. you would think, okay, those are common sense. But as you're yeah. negotiating a 100-page lease document, sometimes you get overwhelmed and you forget to, to ask for these things. And there's a way to negotiate these items uh, tactically with, with the landlord. And so in the end, it, it ended up uh, costing them the space, uh, additional monies, and, uh, and, and many more things that I'm not going to kind of go into, but uh, it was an expensive lesson, needless wow. to say, wow. because they didn't have representation on the, on the tenant side. And this was a franchise, right? This was a franchise mm-hmm. that they had bought. Yes, correct. And it was, was it a newer emerging franchise? It was a newer franchise mm-hmm. that didn't have any locations in, in, in DFW. And, uh, and so they didn't have any, any really feet on the ground to help them here as well. So, so yes. So some franchises do have resources available for the franchisees in that scenario because ours did. We had someone, we own gyms, as I've mentioned several times, and there was someone at the corporate level that was involved negotiating, but not all franchises do. And so there is that value of someone to be an advocate for the franchisee and the prospective tenant so that they're not taken advantage of. And I've told this story before, but we did receive a comment from the landlord's representative that said that the real estate person with our franchise had done a very good job for us. Mm. And he even said that the one of the other tenants in the building didn't get the same deal we did. Oh, wow. And that was very eye-opening for us. We were new franchisees. We didn't know. And when he first said, well, let me tell you something about your situation, we both got a little nervous, like, what's he going to say? And then he said, you had a very good person Mm -hmm. on your side, and other tenants didn't get the same. And so that was just an aha moment for us, and recognizing the value of somebody knowing what they're doing on the side of the the tenant and the franchisee. Well, and for those listening, and a lot of the franchisors, have a um, a big company that they work with, like like you mentioned, Ruben, but then they also have somebody local that they work with that's boots on the ground. So you've got this big umbrella real estate developer that works with them nationally, and then in all these different smaller cities, they have somebody with boots on the ground, and I know you've created that relationship with some franchisors. So tell us a little bit about that and how that came to be, because... I think there was a need there too, right? And that's how you kind of fell into. That's one of the things you specialize in, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, so franchising is is one of my my passions. Um, how I fell into that, I, I don't know. I, I started uh, working with uh, my first client was a or still is a brand called Sweet and Sassy. It's a little girl salon, and so I uh, met them when they were first franchising the business and help them grow that brand nationally. And so at one time there was 40 stores nationwide. And so when I when I undertook that project, I realized that that I really had a, a passion for helping emerging brands 
with their their expansion uh, locally and, and then nationwide with my contacts. But to your point, uh, one of one of the things that uh, that a broker like myself brings is not only the negotiation knowledge, but also the the market knowledge, uh, the local DFW real estate market knowledge. What what are the rental right. rates? Where where are spaces coming available before they go on the market? Things that that maybe the franchisor sitting in a different state may not be aware of, or or a broker that's a, that's a corporate broker may not have the same uh, contacts and, and reach that that somebody locally would. Um, so I think going back to to your original question, um, you know about the franchising. It, it, now I, I work with an umbrella of franchise brands that uh, that that really again or, or I start with when maybe they have three or four stores, help them grow to. You know, hundred stores at one time, and do that um, here from Dallas Fort Worth, but with with the context that I have nationwide, and I continue to take really uh, pride and, and passion in, in helping those those franchisees that maybe are doing their first store and, and the franchisors that are learning about the the franchising process, and, and so that's that's really the bread and butter of tenant real estate advisors. Wow. Well, and Sarah and I always talk about the benefit of working with someone local because. Um, <clears throat> You know, we provide that same kind of service to our clients. We're local. We're boots on the ground. We're in the community. And when you work with somebody in another state or across the country, you don't really get that knowledge, right? We have people like you in our back pocket that can help our clients. So that's important to us. That's important to us for our clients. And um, I think all these relationships locally are, are very, very um useful, for lack of a better word, for our clients. So you kind of mentioned the market and knowing what's going on ahead of time. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because, you know, we've all kind of weathered this pandemic. And I know here in Texas, um, the pandemic wasn't as rough as it was on businesses as it was in some other states that were a lot more restrictive with the shutdown. So one of my questions for you when we were talking is, you know, what happened with leasing and you know, because there's some businesses that <clears throat> went out of business, and um, just talk to us about what's happening right now in the market as far as um, the need or the want, and 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 even prices. What's happening with the cost of leasing? Yeah, so I think we we live in a in a great state uh, that is somewhat insulated from from recession, and we saw that in in 2007, 2008. There, although there was an impact, it wasn't as severe as some of the other states like California, Arizona. And so um, COVID did have an effect on a lot of retail businesses, office tenants, and, and impacted our, our DFW market, but uh, not as, as dramatically as, as I think in some of the other areas in the East Coast and West Coast. So what ended up happening when the pandemic started was that a lot of the businesses that were struggling before COVID, uh, that was kind of the, the final nail in the coffin. And, uh, and so you saw a lot of spaces go dark. However, <clears throat> during that time, a lot of new concepts emerged as well. And a lot of people that may have been let go from a corporate job started looking into, into franchising businesses and opening new businesses. So that created a absorption of the retail product that came available. So now we, we have very low vacancy in, in the Class A product, and I'm speaking about retail in, in particular. Mm -hmm. Class A product means it's, it's a product that is in the upper demographic markets where maybe it's anchored by, by a strong anchor grocery store. So those, <clears throat> those type of centers did withstand the, the turnover and have absorbed the vacancies. Additionally, we are seeing a lot of retail space coming off the ground 
which again, you're not seeing uh, a whole lot of that anywhere else in the country. Which means, um, layman's terms, when you're saying coming off the ground, that's new construction new, being built, right? Because there's such correct. a need. Okay. So, so with the new construction, um, we're also seeing higher rental rates mm -hmm. caused by higher construction costs, higher land prices. Right. So what does that mean for the tenant? That means they're paying probably 30, 40% higher rents than wow. they were pre-COVID. And so I think there's a lot of the misconceptions I get with, with new clients is, okay, there's probably a lot of good deals out there because of COVID. But the rental rates, again, have sustained and they've actually increased. Um, there's also really uh, a fight for prime spaces. So I was telling Sarah be before we came in here that I was working on a transaction in San Antonio where a space came available and one of my clients wanted to pursue it. So we pursued it on day one. A week later, there was six proposals for the wow. same space, and it was a bidding war. Mm. So are you finding bidding wars pretty regularly now? It, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's the <clears throat> average timeline? You mentioned you put an offer in the first day, then a week later, there were five more offers. How long does it generally take a landlord? And there may not be any generalities, but I'm just curious, because our experience has been that they're not necessarily in the same mindset from a timeline as the landlord as the tenant might be so <laughs> yeah. is there and I've never really understood that I always thought you know why don't they want to get this space leased why does it take them a month to return an email or get back to you is that still the case and kind of what do the, is there a standard timeline for somebody <laughs> right. putting in a letter of intent and then actually getting the space well one of the frustrating things about our industry is that, that there is no standard timeline. <laughs> and unfortunately, what you mentioned continues. And so okay. some of these landlords are, are sitting on offers because they know that multiple offers are going to come in the longer they delay it. Or, you know, there, there may not be a, a motivating factor. Some of these landlords may own the, the shopping center free and clear, or they have to answer to different committee levels. And so the process uh, can take a, a elongated time, and there is no standard time. I've seen letters of intent take a month. I've seen letters of intent take five months to negotiate. And in some instances, once in a while, you'll get a motivated landlord that may turn it around in a week. So I, I tell uh, new prospective tenants to, to be patient, to understand that, that the process uh, may take six months to secure an ideal space because along the way you have to do several things, not only negotiate the letter of intent, but you have to, to look at construction bids, you have to talk with the city. You have to negotiate a lease. And so I try to edu educate the tenants ahead of time and, and, and also recommend that you work more than one proposal because maybe mm -hmm. there's a landlord yeah. that is more motivated than another one, and you don't want to put all the eggs in, in one basket. So usually we go out to market, identify five or six properties that fit the criteria of the business, and then we submit uh, multiple proposals that are negotiated concurrently. And so since these proposals are non-binding, you can sign them and not have to put any money down and uh, not have any commitment until you get to the lease. And so that, that's another unique thing that my company does is, is we don't just focus on one property. We look at multiple properties and, and pursue multiple properties at one time to make sure that the tenant is, is getting the best deal out there. And for our <clears> listeners, <throat> you know, we keep saying letter of intent or LOI. The letter of intent is the very first part of this process. It's before you actually look at the lease and sign the lease. So that's the part, that's the first part Correct. or the initial part of this process. 
we always tell our clients if, if they're there's different types of, of businesses and franchises, right? Some of them don't require this class A or class B or even C real estate that, that we're talking about here. So um, for those that do, we usually tell them plan on spending, you know, after you sign your franchise agreement, you sign on the dotted line. It could be six to 12 months before you get your business open. Yes. And that's frustrating because people have been busy and they've been researching and they made their decision. Okay, let's go. And then they have to sit there for potentially a year, if not more, and wait for all of that to, to, you know, be resolved and be ready. So I'm also curious, we've been talking about class A, real estate, retail, some of those things. Are you seeing the same situations with industrial or some of the um, not prime, you know, retail shopping center real estate? Is it, is it the same scenario for everything? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So Industrial is one of the sectors that, that was most protected during COVID yes. for obvious reasons. I mean, distribution was still needed. It didn't re- require people going into the office. And so that, uh, that sector kind of held their, their, uh, their occupancy. Um, I would say <clears throat> the, the sector that got affected the most, as you can probably imagine, is office. And so that sector is still trying to, to kind of recoup and, and fill some of those vacancies. And rates have sustained, even though that there's a lot of vacancies in, in some of these high-rise uh, high buildings and, and some of these properties that, uh, that lost maybe half of their tenant base. So the, the rates have remained. They may have other incentives to attract tenants, free rent and, and other things. <clears throat> but, uh, but I would say you know, retail and industrial held pretty, pretty well. Land prices, surprisingly, just skyrocketed mm. during COVID. And so um, in, in, in active markets, like maybe like Salina, Prosper, some of these markets that, that are well-known in Dallas-Fort Worth, land prices increased 30 40% wow. in the past two years, um, which again goes back to the development costs. And so it's... I, it, it's Kind of, you have to take each sector and look at kind of what what happened in the past 24 months to be able to advise a client on. Okay, here's where we can push, or, and here's the opportunities. And that again is what we help do is navigate through the historical data and 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 really position them to have a, uh, a good letter of intent that's going to be taken seriously, and that's going to allow them to to secure a, a good deal for them long term. And so I do want to mention to your point, it, it is frustrating for some of these franchisees yeah. and, and people that are buying into something that they're very excited about and, and six months down the road, they're still looking. And so what, what I do to <clears throat> kind of work with them and, and, and make them patient is help them understand that they're making a long-term commitment here. You know, it's sometimes it's 10, 15 year mm-hmm. lease. And so we want to make sure that, that although they're anxious and, and ready to do this, that we're making the right decision and, and, and really looking at all the factors. And then I, I stay in touch with them weekly if I need to, to make sure that they know that I'm working behind the scenes and, and keeping them apprised of progress. And so it's a matter of, again, educating the, the, the client up front and, and communicating throughout the way and, and then just keeping their, their, their enthusiasm up because it does wane as, as time progresses. Setting the expectation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really quick um, before I forget, I did want to ask about um, either a liquidity or a net worth requirement. You know, with the franchisors, every single franchise has a liquidity requirement, a minimum amount, and, and a net worth requirement. And um, I've had franchisors actually that wouldn't uh, work with a client 
because all their money was in cash. They didn't own any property. Mm. And even though they met the requirements of the franchisor, the franchisor knew that they wouldn't be able to secure a lease because this money was all cash. So what are the landlords looking for? And I know this is broad because, you know, a 2,000 square foot and a 10,000 square foot operation are going to look different. But, you know, maybe middle of the road, something around two or 3,000 square feet, um, these clients not only have to qualify for the franchise, they need to qualify for the location as well. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely, because the, the finance side of it is, is a very important piece, and, and it's important because it helps with negotiations. If you have a strong balance sheet, which is what the landlord's going to look at, it's going to asset liabilities, um, they're going to be more willing to negotiate with you. So what, what does a landlord look at? A um, couple factors. To them, the most important thing is liquidity, believe it or not. They, they want to make sure that this tenant can finance the operation, can pay rent, maybe during the ramp-up period. And, uh, and then secondly, if, if they're securing a loan, that they have that process underway and they have a pre-qualification letter. The things that are really not of, of value to a landlord are, are assets like a car or a boat or primary residence because those are, are protected in a way. And so mm-hmm. they look at net worth, they look at credit. So most, most landlords will do a credit check. Um, and then <clears throat> cash on hand is, is really an important piece. And, and then also resume. And so all these items I package up in a, in a nice presentation so that the tenant is being spotlighted in, in the right way. And so before we submit a letter of intent, I ask the tenant to provide financials, a, a bio, and maybe on their, on their background, uh, information on the, on the concept if it's a franchise. And then I put that all together in a nice package with the letter of intent so that the landlord can see that all the homework has been done up front and that the tenant is prepared to undertake this negotiation without really any hurdles along the way. Wow. That's amazing. It's obvious that there's a lot involved um, in negotiating a lease and finding your location. So I can't imagine trying to do it without having somebody on your side to guide you through the process. So if any of our listeners today, Ruben, wanted to visit with you and get some more information about your company, how would they go about doing that? Absolutely. So again, the, uh, the company name is Tenant, as a tenant leasing space, Real Estate Advisors. Um, we have a website. <clears throat> then uh, my email address is Ruben, R-U-B-E-N, at Tenant, R-E, Advisors with an S, dot com. Um, I don't know if I can give out the, the, the number as well, but, sure. but the best Absolutely. number to reach me at any time is 817-703-9048. That is my personal cell. You can text or, or call. Um, and again, we're Local DFW based. We have an office in, in Las Colinas and then a, a one off of uh, 75 in, in Knox in Dallas. And so we have a, a local uh, brick and mortar location that can, uh, that can be visited as well. That's awesome. So for anyone listening, please reach out to Ruben. He's obviously a wealth of knowledge and he's got your back if you're starting a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. We know you're busy. Obviously, everything you shared going on, I'm (laughs) sure you're staying very busy in the real estate market. So we really appreciate you taking time out to join us today on Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Again, I am Sarah Wasco. This is my colleague, Roxanne Rabsky. Um, You can find us on LinkedIn. We're very active on LinkedIn. Um, Please download any other podcast that you may have an interest in on any podcast 
podcast channel that you subscribe to. And you can also find us on our YouTube channel, FriendNet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. Thanks again for joining us and have a great day. Bye.